Hey, welcome to episode two of Ben and Matt's Marvelous Journey. I am Matt. I am with Ben. Ben Phillips, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm decent. I'm I'm decent. I, I had the day off work and I saw Star Wars, which is going to date this episode of the podcast after I just made a joke about how we didn't want to do that. I mean, they don't know when you saw Star Wars. That's true. I saw Star it Wars super is... late, everyone. Star Wars ha- will probably be out in cinemas for about two months after it's hit. Yeah, it will never be on DVD, anyone. No, it never will. <laughs> so this has been a marvellous journey. We are taking a deep dive through the history of the MCU, culminating in the 10-year anniversary uh, which, conveniently enough for us, will be when Infinity War is out. So, we did Iron Man, that was episode one, and it's now time for episode two. And the hits keep on coming, everyone. It's time for The Incredible Hulk. Which, two movies in, two movie studios. Yeah, uh, this released is, I mean, this like is, a month apart. Which is I, mean, I will say, like, in the history of it, like the fact that Marvel was starting this universe the fact that the second movie that ties into it is from a different studio entirely is kind of mm. historical yeah it's it's a weird one it, this is universal as as we know paramount were helping them distribute the early marvel films before disney brought it all but uh through weird legal magic universal have maintained distribution rights for hulk in perpetuity which is why there has not been a hulk film since this one I don't understand how it works. I thought you had to be actively making a film within a certain amount of time or you lose the rights, which is what happened with some of Fox's properties. Apparently not for Universal. I don't, I don't know if it dates back to like the TV show or something like that. I don't know if they were involved. I'm probably talking at my ass. Well, that's what we do here. We, we talk out our asses about superhero movies. Uh, so I mean, yeah. it might even be because they're using the Hulk character in movies, the rights don't revert back to Marvel at any point. I don't know. I just know it is a weird outlier in the whole history of the MCU where, will it as the fans might, it's not really going to happen anytime soon because Universal... I think it's something to do with theme parks as well. I don't know. <laughs> it's weird. Anyway, so it was literally released one month after Iron Man, almost June 13th, 2008. You know, we, we had sort of talked about uh, superhero movies at, at the time of Iron Man and you know we are still a month away from The Dark Knight and what had come before wasn't necessarily always amazing like the Spider-Man films were out there you had X-Men doing some stuff but you know there had been a lot of, of shitty films <laughs> with superheroes in them and then came just... Incredible Hulk and it fixed everything <laughs> I mean it's it, it's coming off the back of two the two years previous to this are probably the point where people were starting to go, oh, the superhero bubble is beginning to end, mm. like in that first incarnation, because Batman Begins didn't do crazy money. Like people liked it, but it didn't yeah. do insane. The best of, um, the, uh, of the Nolan trilogy, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you take Spider-Man Two out of the equation, like 2004, you had Punisher, Catwoman, Blade Trinity. 2005, you had Elektra, Constantine, Fantastic Four. And Batman Begins. And you got V for Vendetta, X-Men The Last Stand, Superman Returns, Ghost Rider, Spider-Man 3, Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. That's not a good run for comic book <laughs> movies at all. Oh god, in the year before, Hulk, Ang Lee's Hulk and Daredevil. Yeah. Man. Like, I mean, like the early history of comic movies is not good. Like, I don't understand, good. why do we have such affection for these things? Yeah. And also, I would like to point out, people like to talk about this fad of comic book movies. Go check out the timeline. There have been, they've been here all along. It's just, they didn't sort of permeate culture to the degree they do now. But, I mean, I just reeled off a list. All these movies were coming out. Like, there were four comic book movies a year for many, many years. Um, it's just now you see this Marvel logo constantly and people are so enthusiastic about it that there has to be a back. Anyway, I'm triggered. That's the Incredible Hulk made for a budget of $150 million. That is $10 million more bucks than they spent on Iron Man. But, hey, CGI, I guess... Uh, I mean, also, like, at this point, Hulk is, of the Marvel characters that Marvel Marvel had the tangential rights to, easily the most famous. The most famous. Like, if you exclude Spider-Man and the X-Men as cultural stuff, then Hulk is, he had that TV show in the 80s. Very popular. I remember seeing several episodes of it as a kid. They all seemed the same. He, He would get into a dispute with some bikers, Hulk up, and then wander off 
sadly, at the end of the I mean, it's, it's also just amusing, like, how indebted this movie is to that TV show. Yeah. 100%. Like, like inter- they, they openly, as a statement of intent, wanted to make it more like the TV show and less like Ang Lee's vision. Um, but, like, they have Lou Ferrigno is the Hulk. Yeah. Bill in Bixby's this, in this. Bill Bixby's in this, and they use the music. Yeah. They should it. Like, it's, it's very weird that they kind of, like, it's... Sim- I guess the only superhero that you could kind of compare it to in terms of having that iconic previous version that people keep on wanting to hark back to is Superman. Hmm. Because Batman keeps on reinventing himself. Yeah. Whereas uh, Superman... No, Ben, Ben, Ben. Christopher Nolan invented Batman in 2005. <laughs> did you not know? I mean, that, that is true. That, he's always... No Talk like this! You know, there were no Batman stories before 2005. No, he did, he's never smiled once in his life. <laughs> But yeah, with with Superman, like obviously people come keep on coming back to like the John Williams theme song and mm. kind of the the stuff that Christopher Reeve was doing. And this is the first time that kind of Marvel have dipped into that well of saying like we have a previous incarnation of the character and we're gonna yeah we were use we were that. saying off air this is kind of the first reboot other than maybe Batman Begins and certainly the first reboot that Marvel would do. I mean, it's the second film Marvel would do, but you know we have a reboot two films in <laughs> kind of. Um, I haven't seen Ang Lee's Hulk in a very, very long time. Like, I think easily ten years. I don't remember it being amazing. <laughs> but, yeah, they they were not fans over at Marvel. Um, there, there was a sequel planned that I think Zach Penn was involved in. I think this was supposed to be a sequel. Yeah. Or, like, to get into the beginning of the movie, the beginning of the movie brushes over basically the kind of intro plot to that first movie. Yeah. And you could conceivably see the events of the first movie happening before this one. Yeah, I, I think it's it's termed as uh, it's like a soft sequel. Like it, it's not quite a reboot. It's not quite a sequel. I think they called it a requel or something like that. So that's <laughs> gross. It's not that what happened in Hulk didn't happen. It's just that it's not. You don't have to. You don't have to know about it. Yeah. Anyway, right. So I mean, I've got many notes for this, but obviously. Ang Lee's Hulk, like they were planning a sequel in 2005, and Marvel Studios starts to exist. As Ben pointed out to me, the big loan that Marvel took out was not eligible to be used on this or Iron Man, so they had to spend their own money and not that that loaned money from Merrill Lynch. And they paid to make it. Universal got the distribution rights, obviously. They bring in Louis Leterrier, I think, because he's French, so I'm going to say it's Louis, not Louis. Yeah. But Maker of fine films such as The Transporter, Clash of the Titans, Now You See Me. That's one of the worst filmographies I think I'm, a director I'm, can... I'm really sad that I saw three of his movies in cinemas in a row. Oh, why? Starting with Hulk. I yeah. saw Clash of the Titans in cinema. Clash of the Titans is worse than this. Yeah. <laughs> and then Now You See Me, which is worse than both of those. Yeah. It's his best movie, Unleashed. Like, that's... That's not a great... I, I don't know, There's, I've got some affection for the Transporters. Yeah, I like the first one. Uh, anyway, he wanted to do Iron Man. He got given Hulk because John Favreau impressed them so much. Was it Iron Man he really wanted to do? Because it feels like you watch this movie, he wants to do Captain America. <laughs> Very funny. Zach Penn writes many, many drafts. Zach Penn, who wrote X-Men 2, yay, X-Men 3, boo. Elektra, boo, has some story credit on Avengers, yay, is writing Suicide Squad 2 and Ready Player One. So he's kind of all over the place as and well. And Pacific Rim Uprising. Yes, so I only have so much room on a line. And... I mean, we, we've watched, we both watched a trailer for Pacific Rim within the last 24 hours. Yeah. Because, because the actor from it is in another movie that's a little bit bigger. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> it's weird hearing Vince Staples so much these days. I keep on telling you whenever I hear him in the trailer. <laughs> he's just like, Vince Staples. Because he's fucking trailer. hipsters out in California editing these movie trailers. Yeah, Zach Penn writes many, many drafts. He then departs to go work on a different film. They cast Ed Norton as Bruce Banner. And because Ed Norton is Ed Norton, he demands some creative control. And uh, he rewrites the script. And there is to this... Well, I don't know if it's to this day, but there is a uh, a debate about who wrote the film. I think Ed Norton basically said he re- he rewrote the whole thing and Zach Penn's like, nuh-uh. I mean, I'd, I'd reckon it's probably one of those things where like the structure is there, but yeah. maybe like the dialogue was like completely rewritten yeah. and stuff like that. But like you, when you're in a movie and if you get brought on or when you're casting people, you can't exactly go, we're going to rewrite the entire structure of the movie. And then people go like, but we've 
got sets and we've got yeah. all these all these kind of things. Like you can't exactly go in there and say, "I'm not doing any of this." Yeah, exactly. Well, the Screenwriters Guild sided with Zach Penn, who is the only officially credited writer for this movie. But Ed Norton came in and uh, turned in a di- a, uh, a redraft within like a month, which is crazy. Yeah, and they were heavily inspired by the the old TV show and. Both the director and and Norton, huge fans of the Hulk growing up, they claim, and you know, they were citing all these comics. Now, speaking of comics, this is the part where Ben shows off his crazy, insane brain that needs to be studied for science, uh, and all of the comic book knowledge he can store within it and summon up like that. So, let's talk about the Hulk. Like we we kind of got into it a tiny bit there. Where you know, I I agree. Like in a world pre Marvel, just being everywhere, and now everyone knows every superhero. Like the most recognizable ones, obviously your top level are the DC Trinity of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. But then you've got Spider Man, you've got the Hulk, you got the X Men. Generally, I'd, I'd say that's kind of your big. I mean, if you if you like, yeah, you go up, up to up to the two thousands. I'd say that's pretty much it. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's the characters that got live action TV shows in yes. the <laughs> in the sixties, seventies, and whatnot, yeah. and it's the ones who got those animated shows in the nineties yeah. and kind of bled into pop culture, but like. It's weird for a company as media, like as, as Stanley was trying to get these movies made and trying to get these deals made, DC were having no problems having their characters adapted in all kinds of actually decent ways. Whereas Marvel was very much struggling on this until yeah. Blade in 1998, really. Yeah. But yeah, Hulk is, um, I mean, it's a, yet another Stanley and Jack Kirby creation. Uh, we will be hearing a lot about their creations as we go across all yeah. of his movies. Ben has a hill to die on and I invite you all to hear him <laughs> die on it. <laughs> uh, I will not be dying on it this movie. No. This movie is perfectly legitimate in having Stanley in it, yeah. but my hill to die on will come up in future movies. So yeah, Stanley and Jack Kirby created him in 1962, so it's uh, a little bit after Fantastic Four. Um, it's basically Stanley doing that thing where he looks at things that exist in the world and then going we should make this into a comic book. So in this case, it's Fr- Frankenstein and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And Stanley. the concept of, of like nuclear fallout and fears about radiation and all of that. Yes, that was all very trendy. True. But yeah, I mean, that is Stanley's kind of one gift is kind of distilling pop culture iconography into even more pop culture iconography. <laughs> yeah, so fanta- uh, Incredible Hulk, he's never been... In the comics, he's never really been that kind of like huge breakout star like he was in the avengers for a little bit but then he left because it's kind of difficult to have the hulk in the avengers mm-hmm. there's some like a couple of runs that are kind of like famous uh i think the most famous obviously is kind of um peter david's run where he yes. turned like um joe fix it and stuff like that back in the back in the 80s and the early 90s um and then the most famous run kind of like in the run-up to this that will be relevant in future movies is um Greg Pak taking over and doing Planet Hulk and World War Hulk and stuff mm. like that but re- Hulk is kind of one of those ones where the the interesting stuff from Hulk is kind of oh look he's a different color now or <laughs> th- there's there's not much th- there's people who can tell good stories of the Hulk but most of the time Hulk kind of exists as that like B-tier Marvel yeah. Comics character even even as he progresses in pop culture and becomes the more recognizable one he's very much like not someone that you expect Marvel to build an empire around no it's a very weird one like i obviously i don't dabble to the degree you do in comics but i haven't read all that many hulk stories because it's just not it doesn't scream out to me as something that begs reading i've read planet hulk and wild war hulk like those those were much bigger stories but it's kind of a thing where like they nailed the page one pitch and then it's like i get it and when they stray too far away from what made it what it is, people don't like it, but you can't just keep doing the same thing because, I mean, the the version that they revert back to when they're scared is Bruce on the run in the American Southwest being chased by Thunderbolt Ross. Like, yeah, and occasionally and they get cute with it and like, oh, Hulk and Banner are separate people or Amadeus Cho is the Hulk now or something like that and then they just get I scared. Mean, but even then, like, the most, the most important, like, the, the thing they do quite often is like, what if the Hulk was intelligent, or what if he was always the Hulk, or what if the Hulk was, like, a person, and they've done the variations on this so many times, and they've done, what if there were multiple Hulks, and obviously some of them have stuck, like, She-Hulk is, in many ways, a better character than Mm -hmm. 
kind of Bruce Banner is. I would much rather, I, at this point, I'd really love to see a She-Hulk movie because I do think there is interesting stuff that you can mine there. She's a lawyer. She practices law. Green <sighs> in, like, little pencil skirts and stuff. In my, in my, I'm going to do my... Uh, if you want to read a comic book that is refreshingly different, um, Charles Sewell's um, run on She-Hulk from a couple of years ago is absolutely fantastic. It's literally, what if we hired a lawyer, an actual lawyer in real life, to write She-Hulk? And there's all kinds of legalese, and it's still a superhero story, but it's really, really good. Um, some off-kilter art. It's not mainstream, but it's still good fun. Isn't it funny how when they hire these people that do the job of whatever it is they're writing about, it turns out they're quite good at it? Yes. Like, like Tom King and, and, yeah. Anyway, yeah, so that's Hulk. Like, he's incredibly well-known culturally, but there's not not much doing in the comic landscape. I mean, I'm sure it's sold well enough to continue to exist in perpetuity, but it's a weird one. I mean, to this yeah, day, I've... he's kind of just spinning his wheels. It's like, yeah, Hulk exists, I guess, but we only bring him in when we need a huge like action thing in a, in a crossover. Yes. But that did not stop Louis Leterrier, Zach Penn, Edward Norton, and the good folks at Marvel Studios from giving this the good old college try. Uh, what happens, I hear no one asks, because we all know what happened, but I'm going to tell you what happened anyway. As Ben mentioned, they kind of distill Hulk's origin to the opening credits of this film. So he's Bruce is already the Hulk when we start. He's living in Brazil, keeping a low profile, working at a bottling factory. He studies meditation to stop himself from hulking up. He hasn't had a transformation for like five months or something. Uh, and he liaises with a mysterious Mr. Blue on the internet as, uh, or the dark web as he attempts to find a cure for his condition. A drop of his blood gets into a bottle and Stan Lee, in perhaps his most sort of important to the narrative of the film cameo to date. I think, I think it's maybe one of my favourite cameos of his. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, he drinks the bottle that Banner bled in and gets gamma poisoning and that leads Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross and his team to the factory, and they attempt to capture Banner with the help of Emil Blonsky, who is a crazy human being. They fail, because Banner hulks up and runs. He sort of realises he has to go back to where this started, in a way, to get more samples and whatnot. So he makes his way back to where he transforms. He ends up meeting Betty again, his former girlfriend, Thaddeus' daughter. Oh, the conflict. Her new boyfriend tips them off that Hulk is back. Or, sorry. Banner is back. And they try again to capture him. This time Blonsky's had some of the super soldier serum or the modern attempt at it put into him. He still gets his ass kicked. So Bruce and Betty go on the run together. They meet Mr. Blue, who is a very weird human being. They successfully test a cure, which stops Bruce from transforming, but that allows him to be captured. Blonsky then demands that Mr. Blue give him a dose of Banner's blood because, you know, that's the obvious solution to why you're not the Hulk. And sure enough, he turns into an abomination, as the hammy line suggested he would in the film. He goes on a rampage. Only Hulk can stop him. They have a terrible-looking fight, and uh, they break Harlem, which is canon. And then Hulk runs away, and as the film closes, we see Bruce Banner lives in Canada now, and uh, he uses a meditation technique to deliberately raise his heart rate and become the Hulk, which is all mysterious. And then, in definitely the weirdest post-credit scene that Marvel have done, Tony Stark shows up in the bar that Thunderbolt Ross is drinking in and says he's putting a team together. Let's just talk about this right now. Um, I was going to save it, but it's fucking weird. So, firstly, yes, this kind of makes the MC, like, for real, these official, like, these films are crossing over. It's not just Nick Fury showing up in Iron Man. But this doesn't make sense. Is Tony offering Ross a spot on the team? Is he offering to catch the Hulk for Ross? Are they trying to recruit Banner through Ross? Like maybe it... he's just like bra- he's just bragging. So he's like like Ross is just like saying they're putting a team together. And it's like oh really? Am I going to be involved in the? No 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 no, no you're not. <laughs> no you're not. <laughs> I mean obviously there is eventually payoff. Kind of kind of kind of kind of. I mean years sort of years, like yeah. years and years down the line. Years and years down the line, there is some level of payoff to this scene, but. This is the first, and definitely not the last time, that Marvel does a thing, and then there is no follow-up on it whatsoever, or any follow-up on it is, like, dropped in about one line of dialogue. Their willingness to completely drop an idea is remarkable. (laughs) (laughs) But they have the power to indoctrinate the audience and be like, no, that was never important, forget it. Like, it's, it's, I mean, this is probably one of the first 
moments of rule of cool. It's like, how can we get Tony Stark into this movie? Mm. And it's like, well, we'll do it this way. And it's like, cool. Yes. How does that tie into another one? And then they're like, well, we can't do it in such a way that will confuse the audience if they didn't see Hulk. Mm. Which, obviously, a lot of people who saw Iron Man did not go see Hulk. No. Well, um, and- I mean, this thing made less money than Iron Man. About half as much. $263 million to Iron Man's 585 Who knows what the home dvd sales did but yeah not as popular as iron man was actually reviewed quite well at the time of release which is odd to me as every sort of ranking of the marvel films that has existed since then puts this either last or near the the end the thing is like i can see like the average rating on rotten tomatoes is 6.2 and Whilst I'd probably go a little bit lower, I can still see it being like, it's like a 6 out of 10 movie. I mean, if you compare this directly to, say, I don't know, Elektra, or I don't know, Daredevil, or I it's don't know. <laughs> exactly. I can better. keep going. It's better than those. It is better than those. Again, I haven't seen Ang Lee's Hulk in a long time. I assume this is better than it. Probably. There are some people who defend Ang Lee's Hulk because Ang Lee Hulk's more interesting visually. Mm-hmm. Like, Louis Leterrier is not... Not the first one, because obviously... Um, John Favreau is not the most visually interesting director in the world, but you kind of get the feeling that there is a trend going on here where they are hiring actors who can get in and get out without leaving a personality on these movies. And that obviously works for Marvel because it means that they can factory produce these movies and they feel like they're part of the same thing, but it does kind of leave some of the nature of them feeling a little bit hollow. It makes Edgar um, Wright quit his job, is what you're trying to say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. yeah it's just, I, I think like there are reasons why the Ang Lee Hulk movie is better and there are reasons why this is better. Like, I think this movie has an actually really good act one. Mm, yeah, I mean, like, we're, we're not... We're legally required to talk about this by Mike Thomas, who owns the real world. I think he's literally watched the opening act six times in the last month, he's told me, <laughs> which is the action of an insane human being. But it's, a really good, it's a really good act one. It is. It's like, I... Honestly, Every... I look at it, it's like a Bourne movie. It's like, we're, yeah. we're doing, like, surveillance and, like, the dark web and dudes are, like, sliding cameras under doors before they breach and it's like, what? And there's a huge chase scene. And... Every time I watch this movie, there is about a good 20 minutes where I sit there and go, maybe it's better than I remember. Mm. Maybe it's not going to turn to shit mm. because of just how caught up I get in that kind of, like, this first scene. Yeah. It looks different, it sounds different. I think the score at the beginning of this movie is excellent. It's just, it's lit a lot darker than all the Marvel movies, I think. Like, I don't want to say this, but it looks like a real film, in air quotes. But, like, there's, I mean, it also helps that there's none of that, there's none of the Hulk bullshit. Yeah. Oh, wait, you're saying that in this film about the Hulk, Hulk is not interesting? Yes. Oh, okay. Controversial statement, I believe. I think the best Hulk moment in the film is the first appearance where he's like a movie monster in the shadows. Yes, but then that is done better in the next appearance by Hulk. I have written down Joss Whedon would replicate and do it better. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's... I mean, they tricked everyone. It's like, oh, we're just doing an Ed Norton spy thriller movie, but no, it turns into a whole film. Very See, but think, yeah, that, I mean, that's the thing is, like, I would, if they did, like, the full movie of it being Ed Norton on the run and <laughs> trying to not turn into the Hulk, like, you do, you Iron Man 3 it. Yeah. Oh, I think you. We're so close. We're <laughs> so close to Iron Man 3. <laughs> you, you Iron Man 3 it, and you just have it be, like, obviously people don't like Iron Man 3 because there's not enough Tony in the suit and stuff like that, but I think that there is something, there is attention to him not turning into the Hulk for as long as he can. And it's something they haven't done, and obviously I, they probably feel that they have to kind of, like, if you have Hulk, you probably have to have him show up as soon as he does. Yeah. And, like, Avengers, Hulk is there as quickly as he is he's there quite quickly in age of ultron he's literally the first thing you see in thor ragnarok when you see bruce or hulk and stuff like Mm -hmm. that i just kind of wish they held back a little bit longer yeah it's tricky like i don't know maybe they should have just started making a high budget tv show like a mini series or something i don't know yeah Uh, yeah this opening act is significantly better than the rest of the film now now mike thomas previously mentioned likes to think this is like better than these first 20 minutes are like better than like anything in the mcu or something like that that's crazy talk let's calm no, down let's walk there, it back there is it's, it's comparatively better than the rest of the film it's in yes but it's 
it's not like mind blowing. I would probably say it's one of the best act ones. Yeah. Of any Marvel movie that they've done. Mm. But it, I mean, it, I'm just trying. To, I'm, I, I think it's definitely the most memorable because it's like actually different to the rest of the movie. Like a lot of the other MCU movies, they are a really good act one and act two, but act one and act two are kind of like a single unit, yes. and then the story storytelling shifts in act three into one A and movie. one B. <laughs> yeah, I will say though, like encapsulated within this first act, their decision to condense the origin into the opening credits is a very good decision that they made. Even I think even in a world where Ang Lee's Hulk didn't exist, they probably could have gotten away with this because of how popular and sort of well-known Hulk is. Even if it's a brand new character they invented, maybe. I mean, I don't know, because you don't see Hulk in the opening montage. But still, the decision to sort of hit the ground running and say, right, he's already Hulk, we, we summed up his origin in like 90 seconds, is a really good one. And Spider-Man Homecoming, which we'll talk about in a long time, they do that as well. Like he's already Spider-Man, and again, it's like it's a soft reboot kind of thing. And I would like it if they did this a bit more. I don't know how many heroes really qualify for the treatment. Like I can understand why you'd want to do a backstory on Iron Man because it's a, he was a fundamentally misunderstood, if not outright like unheard of character. At this point, now that now that the Fox deal has happened, yeah. Officially. I can see, I can see Fantastic Four or yeah. some X Men getting this kind of treatment. Yeah. My hope is Fantastic Four show up. They have been the Fantastic Four off in a corner somewhere for like. Well, I mean, like, I mean, like, there's all kinds of pictures you can do. There's the whole idea of them being the, the spaceship yeah. goes at light speed and they they first back arrive on Earth, but they actually ah. exist in the '60s. Is a is a popular idea that's kind of like bandied around and stuff like that. So they are time displaced from the 60s you yeah. call back to the origins of Fantastic Four and stuff like that but like you could quite easily just have it be they show up they've got powers or they've done yeah. something somewhere else and yeah. got so forget Incredible Hulk we're just gonna pitch Fantastic Four movies <laughs> uh, for the next hour no but obviously you can't do this with every every hero but no the fact they could Marvel do it, it here helps the film it significantly reduces the runtime, despite the wishes of Ed Norton and uh, Louis Leterrier who wanted to do like a two and a half hour film or something and Marvel were like no you're gonna make this brisk um, as such there's like 70 minutes of flashback footage that they filmed and they wanted to pepper like flashbacks throughout the film but it didn't do well in test screenings, so they just yanked that out and edited it together into the opening uh, montage the most notable missing scene is so the beginning of this film was gonna be Bruce journeys to the Arctic and attempts to kill himself and in the background was going to be Captain America's frozen body. Have you have you seen this scene? Apparently, it's not good. No, it's it definitely isn't as explicit as you think it's going to be oh, okay. based on like the way they describe it. Okay. Um, it's very much like you have to freeze frame it, and then you go like, "Look, that little red and blue splodge is Captain uh, America's shield," okay. which is also in Tony Stark's workshop. Yeah, but that's got a reason to be there. <laughs> I do think that. For everything not good about this movie, it's brisk. <laughs> like it, it does, it does go by. It's one of the shorter movies. I actually have all the runtimes here. It is the joint shortest movie. Guess what? The other joint shortest movie is Ant Man. Thor: The Dark World. <laughs> and you know what? I'm gonna say Thor: The Dark World probably had longer credits as well. So I think, I think Incredible Hulk might be longer. You're gonna so love talking about Thor: The Dark World with me. I do think giving it the short runtime helps because, especially when you get bogged down in the parts of this that are not good, like you definitely don't want to lengthen it out. But I guess the argument was that it was going to do more with the characters and make it like a more mature. For, I don't know, but yeah, I do like that they just they're like, look, here's his origin. Here we go now. And I think that yeah, we do need to try it's and a do good, that more. It, it's a good move, and it's a move that you can't do all the time. But doing it here definitely helps the movie. Hmm. Then the movie kind of shifts into a bog standard Hulk movie hmm. once you get out of Rio de Janeiro. Yeah, giant and... giant fight scene. Hulk versus many vehicles. Hulk win. People relentlessly shoot Hulk, not realizing it never works, and yet they continue to shoot Hulk. You know what? Actually, it tied in with this this opening act and this this thing. they they notably change the origin of the Hulk, where it changes from being a Exper- like uh wasn't it like a nuclear test and banner like notices it's a nuclear test it's a nuclear test rick jones yeah perennial sidekick to avengers hulk and whatnot yeah. is out there banner pushes him into a safe pit 
a safe full dose from radiation. Yeah, get to get to full full dose of the radiation, and then becomes the Hulk. So we go He's... from a an accident resulting from him being a fundamentally heroic person to right. So here's the thing: Thunderbolt Ross wanted to revive the super soldier program that gave us Captain America. And he brings in nuclear physicist and biochemist Bruce Banner. And somehow, according the dialogue, as he explains it to Blonsky, is he managed to trick Banner into not knowing what he was working on. Genius, multiple PhD, Bruce Banner, with all his expertise, doesn't know that he's working on a thing that will make people ungodly strong and resistant and stuff. He thinks it's something to protect against radiation. I call bullshit on this. Like, how would he not know what... Those aren't even, like, remotely comparable traits, like being the Hulk and being resistant to... And the the ultimate thing of this is, is that it goes from an accident to, like, he's a willing volunteer and it goes wrong. Like, Ed Norton removed Rick Jones from the script. I wonder if, like, originally they were going to do the accident thing and it went with him. I don't know. I just think that this... It's just bad. But it is uh, it's a weird little tie-in, I guess, with the rest of the MCU. But the thing is, it's a tie-in that doesn't even really make sense no, with, like, where the future of the MCU goes. No. And it's like... what? Like So Ross is trying to recapture Hulk, and he keeps saying, like, as far as I'm concerned, his body is government property and all this. It's like, sorry, you're looking at Hulk and thinking, hmm, positive results. Need to get him <laughs> in here. Re- we, we were almost there. Like... I just don't understand it. As a story where, like, he thinks that the Hulk is, sorry for the pun, but an abomination who is a danger to his daughter and is causing destruction and potentially death. That makes sense. Hunt him down, kill him, maybe capture him for science. But just changing it here where, like, Ross becomes mad scientist who tricked a genius and is still at it. It's like, what are we doing here? I, I hate that. So, like, that entire scene where he explains it to Blonsky, I was like, blah. Right. Uh, Hulk. The CG is mixed. <laughs> he I'm does not look up- good in the clear light of day. <laughs> I'm glad that they update the model yeah. in the four years between this and Avengers. Yeah. Because I, I don't know if it's, like, the, the CGI is taking leaps and bounds, they use a different effects company to actually do it and stuff mm. like that, but, like, it looks like a really good video game. Yeah. At certain points. I mean, I, I read extensively about all the work they did on him uh, to create this Hulk, but it's like, yeah, but it still kind of looks like trash, guys. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm still, I mean, I guess we're kind of spoiled in that we've just seen, literally in cinemas a while ago, the most fully rendered Hulk that we've yet to have yeah. on screen and stuff like that, and going back to almost a decade ago at this point mm. and what the character looks like, you are obviously going to see growth in CGI and stuff like that and growth in mocap performance. But it still just doesn't... Good CGI is timeless. Yeah. Like, you can still go back and watch Jurassic Park and go, that looks really good. Yeah. But you can't necessarily watch this and go like, ah, yes, this is Mm. a seamless blend of computer-generated effects and character performance. It's it's really tricky. Like In the shadows at the beginning, it's kind of like, okay. Then you see him in full daylight and it looks wrong. And then you see him at the end in that fight with Abomination where they look identical to each other because of the realistic lighting or whatever, and it looks somehow worse again. <laughs> this is a film where every time I see the Hulk, he looks worse somehow. Um, and, the, and he's got his floppy hair, and he seems a lot taller, or or like slimmer. I, I think Leterrier had this vision for Hulk as, like... I mean, if he's if it is meant to be tied in with the super soldier serum, it's like Hulk is supposed to be some like perfect human, it's like, but green, I guess. And I don't know, I, I prefer him as sort of gorilla-ish in a way, where he is more like animalistic than he is human. I think they refer to Ang Lee's Hulk as like Fat Hulk, and it's like I, oh. I know, like don't fat shame people. I know, right? All I know is the the version that has been in the MCU since this movie looks way better than this one. I don't like his floppy hair either. It's, it's... it's emo Hulk. Yeah. All right. So Ed Norton, weird, right? Like I mean, he's, he's almost been erased from existence. Like this movie is canon, a hundred percent. It happened. Like Mark Ruffalo makes comments about breaking Harlem and all of that, and yet 
every they've time. comments about Breaking Harlem. There yeah. are characters from this movie who are in the MCU, yeah. like played by the same actors. Yeah. But <sighs> when I, when I, whenever I see this movie on TV or when I watched it for this, it's still very jarring seeing Ed Norton as Bruce I Banner. Th- like, <laughs> I think he's fine. Yeah, it's... I, I don't think he does a bad job. I think no. he is fine at what he does. I think he is. In some ways, miscast, but I can't tell whether or not I feel he's miscast because he's not Mark Ruffalo, or I can't tell if I feel he's miscast because of something the film actually does. Is he better than Eric Banner? Uh, I'd have to remember Eric Banner's oh, well, performance yeah, okay, to be able to comment on it. <laughs> I don't. Know, I think he plays like the he play he plays the first scene, the kind of like undercover Heidi spy born type thing, really well. But that and again, doesn't it goes... really strike me as Bannery. You know? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, it's. I mean, he. I think he portrays like the anxious, sort of worrisome side of him pretty well. Uh, they obviously went in hard on trying to show his sort of remorse about it with the shower scene and everything like that. Some good old-fashioned nudity. But there's just. I think it's kind of missing like a big scene that sort of makes it his. If that makes sense, like there's like I can I mean, point that's... straight to that opening scene in Avengers with Hulk. And I'm like, oh, that's Ruffalo's forever now. Like he's he just he just erased Ed Norton from existence. And yeah, I don't know if Ed that, Norton was so issue. worried about writing this film that he or like you know just getting all these small details right and going back and forth on the appearance and all that that he wasn't paying attention to just giving it that huge big scene. But I don't it's know. the issue that especially at this point where Hulk and Banner aren't being played by the same people. Yeah. Like, he isn't doing the mocap. He isn't doing the whole performance and stuff like that. And the movie's having to do that 50-50 split. So he isn't really playing both sides of the character. Not voicing uh, him either. No, he didn't do mocap. He didn't do mocap for it as well, did yeah, he? Yeah, no, I know. I'm saying like he also didn't voice it as oh, well. Oh, yeah, no. Lou, Lou Ferrigno is the Hulk. He still was the Hulk in Avengers. I th- yeah, I think they, like, mixed his voice with Ruffalo's or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't like. I think that is kind of one of those important things where, like, it doesn't give you doesn't give you a fully rounded performance. It feels like these are the scenes with Banner, these are the scenes with Hulk, and they are entirely separate. Like, you never really get a feel that they are the same being, other than you know they are the same being. But it doesn't ever kind of coalesce into this kind of like central central part of the movie. And it does yeah. kind of create that thing where, like, when Hulk is on screen, this is a different movie to when Banner is on the screen. Yeah, and like, Ed Norton's off of, here making his weird Bourne spy movie. <laughs> yeah, and outside of that first scene, I don't think either the, the kind of Banner romance movie, the Banner scientist movie, or the Hulk kind of action disaster movie is as interesting as what they were doing in that first scene. I do want to talk about the whole controversy with him leaving but i want to save that for the end i think really so you you mentioned the you know the the love story and he is paired with Liv tyler as betty ross uh i i don't believe that she is a is a scientific genius i'm sorry Liv tyler (laughs) do you believe she's an elf (laughs) yes i do i believe that steven tyler would uh would spawn an elf (laughs) so i watched it about a week ago because we had some scheduling issues i thought you know what they kind of have good chemistry they've got quirky little interactions and then when i made my notes a couple of days ago i was like i cannot think of a specific instance that i'd be able to cite so i threw in the dvd just before we started recording and i rewatched some of these scenes i was like right what was it i was thinking of turns out none of it like i don't know where (laughs) i got that from they i i can only ever think whenever there are for some reason like certain things i always remember from this movie and there are four scenes that i would normally think of when i think of this movie Mm -hmm. it is the first act in almost its entirety. Yeah. It is the fight on the university campus, mostly for the scene where Hulk boot kicks <laughs> into Blonsky a into a tree, <laughs> <laughs> which is one of the best moments in this movie. Yeah. And then it's the scene in the cave. Yeah. Like, that scene in the cave, for some reason, is in my head, even though I don't think anything really of interest happens in the scene at all. No. I mean... like what they're going for is oh he's not mindless like betty can get through to him and it's something they riff on with scarlet witch later i feel but yeah i don't know just i mean the it does scenes where she's talk- screaming at the sky yeah well the scenes where she's talking to anyone other than banner she's really not good i do think a couple of the moments where she's having these little cute little interactions with banner i think she's better at like i think she sells the love story a bit and they that was the weird thing. Like when they were pitch, when they were doing all the promotion of this movie, they were like, "Right, 
it's a love story and there's a physical villain for him to fight and it's like these are two odd things for you to hang your hat on but whatever I don't want to go as far as to say she's like atrocious but I think she's definitely of the kind of the first generation of love interests she is the weakest yes of of the four actresses that they cast she is the weakest yeah it is also noticeable that she's the only one that has not come back yeah but I wish Natalie Portman didn't come back but no be like she's the only one that hasn't been invited back I don't know if that's entirely on her though like, no, but I, I I do think that like there is if if she'd had the most amazing chemistry with mm-hmm. something like people remembered her she did something significant they would have yeah. brought her back even if Iron Man one had been a complete failure and they had to recast Robert Downey Jr because he'd relapsed or something like that <laughs> if Gwyneth Paltrow had acted everyone off the screen Gwyneth Paltrow would have come back as Pepper Potts yeah and I think that is the significant thing to remember with he's like lived like they have brought Thaddeus Rock, Rocks back at this point they had to how else could they introduce the accord <laughs> but like they could have quite easily brought Liv yeah. Tyler back in some way and they yeah, have not they done could. that yet they could yes uh, she, she's not amazing is she uh, she no. is dating Ty Burrell in this film as Leonard Sampson who uh, would become Doc Sampson allegedly in a, in a potential sequel uh, the green haired strong scientist man. <laughs> they do so much setup. Yeah, they do. There's so many like future teasers. There is no especially in phase one, there is no phase one movie that does as much setup for future pieces than this movie. Yeah. Like Iron Man One has teases of the Mandarin and teases of War Machine and stuff like that. But like this movie explicitly casts two of Hulk's biggest and most iconic villains and does almost nothing with them. Nope. So he, like, is barely in this film, but I, th- I think they deleted a lot of his scenes. But... I mean, this is also a year before uh, Modern Family started, yeah. so he's not, <laughs> modern, he's not Modern Family's Ty Burrell at this point. No, he's not. He's, he's your and my Ty Burrell. <laughs> I do really like, there's a scene where, um, after he tells on Bruce, and then uh, Ross is, like, dressing him down afterwards, he, like, psychoanalyzes everyone, and, like, I can't remember the phrasing, like, Ross says something like, where does she find these guys? And I was like, what? That support her right to make decisions? Oh my god, what assholes these two men are. That's, like, literally my only takeaway from uh, Ty Burrell's performance, so that's that's good for him. Tim Blake Nelson as Samuel Stearns, who is the aforementioned Mr. Blue. Some of the weirdest delivery of some of the weirdest lines I've ever seen in my life. It's very jittery. I don't know if they were going for neurotic scientist, but... Yeah, just something about the way he talks just doesn't sound like how a human would talk to anyone. But he was intended to be the leader in the sequel. The stuff drops on his head and then it starts to balloon up and go crazy. The leader, man. I mean, the leader is almost as difficult to do on screen as the Mandarin is. And they actually kind of go for an almost close to realistic comic version in this movie. Like, it's just bizarre what they do there like they explicitly set up the leader at the end of this movie they do like there is there is the scene where is it just Banner's blood starts dripping on his head yeah that's it Blomsky gets it in him and he becomes abomination it drops on on leader's head and well on Stern's head and he becomes the leader Stanley drinks it he just gets some gamma, gamma poisoning like it goes in him he digests it <laughs> and all it has to do is touch Samuel Stern's head but hey I not not good not a good scene weird like you know like he starts out like oh I'm helpful then the immediate penny drop of but we can use this to do all these things it's like oh so you just went for the easiest softball in the history of the world yeah like good. it's 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 one of those kind of, at this point in superhero movies where they start to kind of shove a bit too much into them mm. and this movie starts to do a bit too much in terms of like introducing characters even with the only two hour runtime yeah it starts to just kind of be a bit much it does uh before we get to the villains in our in our famous segment villain watch there are a lot of cameos in here we've mentioned some of them already lou ferrigno plays a security guard the world's worst security guard paul souls who voiced the hulk in the 1966 cartoon plays the pizza dude stanley uh bill bixby is sort of in it when banner is watching tv at the beginning uh, Michael K. Williams plays a bystander because Ed Norton likes The Wire. 
<laughs> I guess. I got so excited when I saw that in cinemas and then realised it was going nowhere and was just like, no, what the hell was there. that? Um, it's like a Spider-Man film, this one, with all the famous people standing around. Martin Starr allegedly plays Amadeus Cho. He just gives Banner a thumbs up in a computer lab. We'll get away from the awkwardness of that casting. Obviously, this was Hollywood in a different time when this kind of thing probably wouldn't have gotten headline news that they've cast the Asian-American character as Martin Starr. But when I look at Martin Starr, he screams Amadeus Cho. He is not. He is definitely not Korean-American. No, he's not. Yeah, so they, you know, they filled this thing. Well, like, there's a trio of, of Hulk people and Stanley, and then, you know, you've got these other cameos. But now it's time for Villain Watch, which might have some sort of little musical stinger by the time I edit this. Who knows? <gasps> so, our main villain, William Hurt, as Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross... This is campy as hell, cartoony <laughs> as heck. Sam Elliott wanted to come back and uh, they cast William Hurt because allegedly no actor can go from zero to 100 like William Hurt. Uh, Jeff Bridges can and he did more so in Iron Man 1, but hey-ho, it's not great. <laughs> no, he's, he's not the most memorable of performances. Like He, he looks the role, like but from pure comic book level he looks like what I'd imagine... Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross to be, but like even in the the comic books and stuff like that, Thaddeus Ross is one of the most one note characters that you'll find in one of these movies. Where oh it's yeah. just like <laughs> we need to get the Hulk, and it's just like, or you can't be dating my daughter. Why? It's just yeah. like, oh my god, shut up and get away from this thing. Like it's there's <sighs> so little sense coming out of his mouth so frequently. It's like, what do you want, man? Like ultimately, <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Like he, his claim is that he created a comic book, faithful, like, comic booky, graphic novel-y villain that allowed the, the monsters to seem more real because he is a human monster. I say he did not do that. <laughs> I say he gave a bad performance despite being a good actor. As well as him, we have Tim Roth as Emil Blonsky, a.k.a. Abomination. Once again, we have the trend of British actors in American superhero movies saying things that no British person would ever say. The size of a softball, he says. Sorry, <laughs> not a thing we say. In Justice League, I think uh, the villain said something about it's going to destroy eight blocks. It's like, nope, not a thing that we refer to our streets as, but hey. Tim Roth is 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 in this movie as a as an incredibly like obsessed soldier. Like, I get what they're going for. Like, his desire to overcome his own aging, like, he is this you know, haggard soldier that has seen and done so much and now he realize you know, his body is beginning to fail him a bit and he's now coming up against an opponent that just beats him constantly, kicks him into a tree. So I understand I, what they're going I, for there, but it just falls so flat and he comes across so insane. I really like that though. I I don't think Tim Roth I don't think Emil Blomsky is like the most interesting villain in any of these movies, but I just kind of like they go full on insane with it. Yeah. Like I think there's there's a different version of this movie that you can make where you have the good soldier who genuinely just wants to like save the world and mm. does something morally grey to kind of do it and becomes yeah. something far worse. I think that is an interesting take on the character. But the thing is they just he is so insane. Yeah, he wants he actively wants to become the Hulk. It's like, no, what? Why would you want this? Like but like so just so before we watched it you said that you were watching some scenes I decided to go watch some scenes so the scene I watched was the full seven minute long fight scene and it's just oh. the bit where like Tim Roth is like prancing around <laughs> dodging dodging Hulk carrying like pieces of car and stuff like that and it's just like yeah. car boxing gloves someone wrote yeah. that down and got paid money it's not good but it is fun and I think Tim Roth is the person having the most fun in this movie probably yeah and I think that goes a long way towards my enjoyment of it. Is that yeah. like when he's on when he's on screen, I'm just like I can enjoy this. Mm-hmm. I can enjoy the fact that Tim Roth has gone off the deep end and is doing like he's shooting something and nothing's really happening with it. <laughs> and then he gets and then he gets kicked into a tree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he's like giving it all that and shooting a Hulk in the face, and then just kicked into a tree. So yeah, I like Tim Roth's performance for the most part because I think it. it does something to this movie that makes it enjoyable outside yeah. of that first act. And then Tim Roth fucks off for the final third of the movie. Yeah, Abomination looks like fucking <coughs> trash. Like, I don't understand what they were... His weirdly long neck that doesn't really move. 
and he's like, all just it's, bones. It, I mean, like at this point, Warner Brothers were not making the DCEU. But, it would fit right in. But yeah, it feels like it feels like the executives at Warner Brothers decided to go like, how did Marvel make their first movies? They watched all of Phase One and then said, Incredible Hulk, the template we're going to follow. Yeah. Like we are going to make this this Act Three in every single one of our movies. Yes. Oh god, yeah, you're right. It's brown and orange, you can't tell what's going on, it's magically night time. But even then, like you look at the, the creatures that DC have been doing, you see Dark you see Doomsday, you see yeah. Ares, you see Steppenwolf. Yeah, and like and they all look like abomination. And it's like why? Why no one wants this. Like no one, Not one talks person. about the Marvel villains. No one talks about the Marvel villains and goes, you know Abomination is top top five. Right. He looks orange, he looks grey, he looks brown, he looks exactly like the Hulk at times. <laughs> so, don't... The, but there's, there's no personality to it, and there's no tension to it, because like uh, Hulk's not going to lose. Like, I know who Abomination is, like, I've, I've seen him, but I'm not hugely familiar with the origin. Now, he is traditionally more reptilian or amphibian looking, with, like, weird, like, appendages... So I, you know, given the route they were taking with this being them trying to replicate the Hulk, it makes sense for him to look more like the Hulk. But I look at what Abomination looks like on the page, and I look at this, I'm like, hmm, close. I, I don't even it made it close. They somehow managed to make it worse. <laughs> yeah. Like again, like there's this weird like the, the bone stuff where he's got bones coming yeah. out of his arm. It's like that, you are literally taking an element of Doomsday. Mm-hmm from Superman to kind of like do your CGI villain and no one no one should be doing that no one should be taking the the character that DC made to for the explicit reason to kill Superman and didn't do any development beyond that like this is kind of the ultimate rule of cool (laughs) and uh, moment for this kind of thing and the thing is it's not cool to watch pieces of CGI just kind of like mush against each other yeah yeah like there's no stakes. To I mean, any Marvel of it, do but... this as well, but not to the degree that that DC do. This is the most explicit yeah. one of these, yeah. just because Hulk is a CGI creation. So even when Iron Man is fighting the Ironmonger, like there is still people in those suits, or there's still Robert Downey Jr. doing Snark. There is still Jeff Bridges hamming it up with some of the lines and stuff like that. It's not good, but it's better than what this movie becomes in its final third. I mean, you're able to say, yeah, this is happening. But you look at this and you're just like, I'm watching a cutscene in a, like, mid-2000s video game. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's that that thing where, like, every single time, again, to bring this point up again, like, every time I watch this movie, there is a flicker of hope Mm. in that first scene that this movie's going to get, is going to be good. And then you remember this scene at the end. And then I remember this scene at the end Mm. where... It's a, it's a good like twenty minutes long fight scene between these two as well. I hate it so much. So yeah, Hulk bounces at the end of the movie. Do you know who else bounced? Edward Norton. Now let's talk about this because immediately did after Edward the, Norton bounce? I, this is what I want to get into. So immediately after this film, they were talking about the future. Like I think a direct quote was like from Norton: "The whole thing was to envision it in multiple parts. We left a lot out on purpose." The Incredible Hulk is definitely intended as chapter one. And there are disputes about whether he was under contract, whether he was, you know, or not. Like, him and the director say he wasn't. It seems very like Norton and the director are on one side of every debate involving this film, and everyone else is on the other. But hey, he has claimed that he opted out because he didn't want to you know, just be known as the Hulk, etc. And, you know, he's an actor's actor and he wants to go do proper films. But then that doesn't really gel with what he said about the future of this thing. All I can think is he met Kevin Feige and these two men who have visions for what they want to do uh, just did not get along very well. And... But yeah, because you, you have to imagine that, like, Hulk was made without... Like, Kevin Feige is an executive producer on it, but this is still when... Um, Avi Arad is around kind of helping out with stuff and you have to imagine that Universal had some more level of creative involvement that maybe created a buffer between Kevin Feige and Edward Norton and stuff like that and like, the- Feige's quote on uh, choosing not to bring Norton back which is a very choice way of saying that 
Our decision is definitely not one based on monetary factors, but instead rooted in the need for an actor who embodies the creativity and collaborative spirit of our other talented cast members. That is a very flowery way of saying Ed Norton's a dick and he's hard to work with. <laughs> but also he did demand a lot of money, apparently. Yeah, I, yeah, I hear they made him quite a uh, small offer. But apparently Marvel do this. I think everyone aside from Robert Downey Jr. actually... I mean, I'm sure as they've gone on, they've commanded more pay, but the early contracts apparently were not high for most of them. Um, no, because, I mean, especially for Chris Hemsworth, it's yeah, <laughs> like his first movie. But exactly. I mean, I think that's fair. I think it is, but then the fact that like when they got to like Avengers or Age of Ultron and they hadn't redrafted the contracts to pay them more, then mm. you like, come on, yes, you made them, but... <laughs> they are now these characters and you can't recast them like yeah. i think like samuel L. jackson's was like shockingly low for who he is and how mm. many films they had him for but so this is the second big recasting that they do the last significant one i mean we'll, like we the... will talk about ruffalo when we come to the avengers but just yeah the next one that happens in turn that's noticeable is zachary levi in oh, the yeah. dark world <laughs> But that, that, I think that's literally the last time that they actually do a recasting of yeah. any significance mm. in one of these movies. We will um, keep track. <laughs> do you do you miss him? No, not at all. I think, like I said, I think from the first scene with Ruffalo and I mean maybe not when he's just being a doctor, but that conversation with Black Widow, he snatched this part from Edward Norton. I'm not going to say which actor is better. Like that's a redundant process, but. Again, we will talk about it in the future. Like it's it's an unlikely casting, but he has been the Hulk since that scene for me. And as I said, when I watch Edward Norton in this role, it's very jarring. Like for how good he is in certain moments of it, and as good of an actor as he is generally, it's a weird sort of asterisk on the MCU where this film is a hundred percent canon, but they've recasted the lead. And it's also an interesting one because because Disney don't own the rights to it, it never ends up being promoted in the same way no i mean like you see yeah you see sales of these movies going on in like on websites and in stores and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and you never see hulk racked with them hulk doesn't have the same box art he doesn't have the same kind of like design to it he doesn't have that lovely painted cover with all the cast kind of looking pensive and all the rest of it that they do for all of these movies it's like they're trying to hide it you know (laughs) yeah like it's it's the only one i don't actually own on blu-ray and so when when we said that we were going to be doing it, I was just like, oh "God, how am I going to watch this?" Like, luckily, <laughs> like it's not that expensive to buy. But the fact that I don't own it yeah. says a lot to me about my urge to watch it. Now, I I saw Iron Man one and two. I then saw the Avengers. I think the moment I got out of watching the Avengers, I ordered this and Thor on DVD, and uh, boy, was I disappointed by this. But I will say, like. God, I, I saw. I went to see the Avengers again uh, with my girlfriend, and I wanted to like give her the crash course. I was like, I'm not going to make you watch all five movies before we watch Avengers, but there is one big takeaway that you need from the Incredible Hulk, and it's that final scene where he deliberately transforms into Hulk, and I think that gets forgotten as quite an important thing because you know a big scene in the Avengers is that's my secret. I'm always angry or whatever, and I have always directly pinned those two moments together and been like ah because this and you know when he deliberately becomes hulk he's less aggressive so that to me is the legacy of this film edward norton bounced and hulk can deliberately be hulk it's it's a fantastic moment that we will spend a lot of time on when we get to get to avengers but Mm. in incredible hulk it's it's a weird moment to end the movie on Mm. i think i think they said that it was potentially leaving the door open for, oh, he can't control it, and therefore he's the villain in the Avengers. That's... Yeah, I mean, I can see that being yeah. what the plan is. Well, we have spent far more time on this than it needed, because the the summary is, it's I'd say it's the worst film in the MCU. It's, it's in the bottom three. Like, yeah. I would not begrudge anyone moving it around. Right, well, okay, I I kind of skipped over this, but in every movie we'll be nominating a remarkable performance so that we well, can Well, I feel like we, we definitely covered it in Iron Man in that... You it's Robert Downey Jr. It's Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> Is anyone giving a noteworthy performance in this or are we going to bank a performance to use for later? I want to bank a performance. There's no, right. there's, there's no one in this movie that's like memorable. Like Even right. if Edward Norton was doing like really good work as Hulk, 
it's not what the Hulk becomes. I wouldn't even want to use it then. No. Okay. So we have two. We have a spare can, one to play with. We can use. We can if we find a movie with two great performances in. Yeah. We can get. We can use it then. And how does this work? Like, is is Robert Downey Jr. eligible in every film he's in? I think that I I think you can be nominated multiple times, but I do think it should be not against you. Yeah. It should be against you because okay. I mean, there's only one choice for the two Thor movies, really, and I will nominate him both times. Okay. But. <laughs> Wow, it's really it, it, weird that, that you think Kat Dennings is a man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we also forgot to do good third act, bad third act. But no, we did. Tell we, when we, we talked we, about it, it's a bad third that. act. It's a bad third act. I'm trying to like have regular segments, and I forgot. I know, but everything everything kind of like melded into one. Basically, we got into abomination. It was just like, oh my god, this yes. is so bad. Okay, like, well, look, everyone, it's a rough movie. Therefore, it's been a rough podcast. I promise we will return to a vague formula next time when we cover Iron Man 2 how excited are you Ben? I am so excited to be discussing Mickey Rourke's Russian accent well I'm gonna watch uh, Rockwell doing his dancing so I'm happy I'm actually relatively excited to watch Iron Man 2 again I know I will have a similar reaction I will have a similar reaction to it when I do this movie, where like there's good moments, I'll go like, maybe I'll enjoy it more this time. And then he invents an element for 20 minutes. <laughs> See you next time, guys!